We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Welcome back, everyone. It is April 25th, 2015. This is The Truth Perspective. I am Harrison Cayley. My co-host today is Elon Martin. Hey there. And joining us in the studio again, Shane Lachance. Hi, everybody. And joining us, especially from the Health and Wellness Show, we got Tiff. Hi, everyone. Um, for the first hour today, we're going to be talking about... Uh, number of things, some some breaking news, some stories that have come up over the past week or so um, with a focus on child protective services, uh, the abuse of children, and kind of corruption behind the scenes of the agencies involved in protecting our children, allegedly. And then in the second hour, we will be joined by Tammy Stefano of the National Safe Child Coalition. Um, she's done a lot of work um, advocating for children's rights and has a lot to say about child protective services. So um, we'll be having her on in the second hour, like I said. But to start out with, we've got some Earth Changes news kind of carrying over from our discussion last week. Shane, why don't you give us the lowdown on what's going on around the world? Um, well, I had a, I was mainly going to talk about some of the of volcanic eruptions, but uh, before we get into that, um, there was uh, quite an earthquake in Nepal this morning. Um, Alon, did you have information on that? I did. Uh, it seems that there was a 7.8 magnitude earthquake in Nepal uh, several hours ago. It was reported that there were 800 dead. Uh, I think one of the last things we heard was that about 400 people uh, succumb to the uh, effects of the quake and um you know as usually happens with uh these type of events that the numbers just keep going up um it seems that there were a lot of uh, very old structures in nepal that were destroyed as well uh apparently it's the most massive earthquake to hit central nepal since 1934 so hot on the heels of our Mother Nature is fuming um, discussion. Uh, it's interesting that we would um, we would see this event occur, and uh, we'll be posting updates as other larger volcanoes and earthquakes seem to be um, set off and occurring around the planet, uh, more or less simultaneously. Um, and I think you have some information about what happened this week in Chile. Yeah, there is um, is actually today, uh, we just saw the third eruption of the uh, Calbuco uh, volcano. And that was, that was a dormant uh, volcano for a number of years. It was, I think, uh, rated like one of the third, top three anyway, uh, most dangerous uh, volcanoes in Chile. And 
yeah, it's been it's been dormant for you know quite a while, number you know, number of decades, and um, you know it's just spewing these uh, massive amounts of of ash, um, you know, six more than six miles into the sky. So, you know, it, it's been said that you know these kinds of things you know make their own weather, and um, you know I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more come out with the, the devastation from uh, from that earthquake, and yeah. You know, All right. I think we're back. Can everyone hear us? Chat room ch- okay. Thank you chat room chatters. Okay. Carry on. Shane, you were talking I think you were talking about the UFO. Yeah, um, uh, well, I'm not sure at what point we got cut off. We were talking about the uh Cabuco volcano in in southern Chile. And you know just how uh, it's it's been uh, dormant for or inactive for um, you know quite a number of years, and you know the pictures that are coming out are you know just these amazing scenes, and you know some of the videos that are uh, capturing these wild electrical storms going on, and uh, I don't know if if you guys uh, caught the, there was one video that came out uh, of a the UFO. Uh, or possible UFO sighting? Well, it's an unidentified flying object. Well, I saw a few pictures. I think it was from this one of the, the huge um, just pillar of smoke and ash. And out of that pillar, there was like this giant humanoid form. Ah, I and, see that. And, with, and it had this one, this one light right where you, like a cyclops would have its eyeball. And it, ah. it was, well, this this light it was um, you know it was just it looked like when the guy zoomed in that there could have been two lights, um, but you know he was he was filming and as he zoomed in zoomed out it it just disappeared. Uh, now I saw some say you know well you know it was actually this uh, Cessna airplane uh, you know that remained stationary <laughs> for yeah. extended period of time. And this Cessna massive airplane hovering yeah. over a volcano yeah that's safe. Yeah, not safe or realistic. So, so there's that, um, and you know, there's also another interesting story that kind of tied into our last week's discussion as well. So there is um, a study that came out uh, from Yellowstone National Park that discovered that the chamber uh, underneath uh, was holding, you know, it's like uh, three times the amount that previously thought which is like 11 times uh, the size of Grand Canyon. This would be a magma chamber? Yeah, the magma chamber. Right. And magma being just hot, molten lava, pretty much. It's a lava, from what I understand it. Um, So that reservoir, uh, you know, it sits underneath um, the Yellowstone, and it has a volume of like 46,000 cubic kilometers. That's just, I mean, it's, it's massive to think about. Um, so you know, I, I thought that was kind of interesting to to come up right after we were talking about the uh, Yellowstone last week. And well, let's just talk about that a second because uh, the implications of of that size of magma uh, being released um, above ground anywhere in Yellowstone, uh, not to mention the ash and whatever else gets uh, ejected. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's 
what's the word? I mean, mind-boggling. Mind, that's yeah, two words. Catastrophic. <laughs> Horrific. I mean, you uh, you see some of the images you know, coming out from um, the devastation from Chile, and you know, it's like a this massive snowstorm that was an ash storm. You know, just like you know, drop these uh, feet of of ash. And, you know, they're digging themselves out. You just see ash everywhere. So, you know, the um, volcano in Chile was, was pretty big, but, you know, you compare that to something like uh, the supervolcano in Yellowstone and, you know, it's just uh, inconceivable yeah. what could happen. I mean, what were we saying last week about the, the sizes of supervolcanoes being like a thousand times more powerful than... Uh, this one in Chile. Um, so, yeah, that's something to be concerned with if uh, there's more activity at Yellowstone, especially. Well, we're seeing like all this activity, you know, all around the world. Um, you know, there was the um, volcano in Mexico. Um, I think there was. Uh, I think there had they had several eruptions uh, starting last month, coming uh, going into this month. And yeah, there's uh, another volcano erupting in Costa Rica, um, spewing ash 6,500 feet in the air. And these things are popping off all over the place. And coupled that, I think, with uh, another earthquake that occurred near the Pacific Northwest, uh, not a very powerful one for sure, but you know, if you consider that uh, this volcano in uh, the Calbuca volcano and uh, this, this earthquake that just occurred um, in the uh, area of southern Canada and Pacific Northwest of the U.S. are all along the Ring of Fire, right. which is a kind of interconnected, uh, tectonically um, related uh, space. Um, that means that there are things going on right now that uh, pretend larger events um, and uh, I guess we'll see where that goes. Yeah, uh, Mother Nature does not seem too happy with uh, the the state of the planet and what we're doing to it. Yeah, I just I found that reference. Um, it was the Calbuco volcano eruption with the with the giant figure in it. If you go to sunmetro.co.uk, just just Google like human figure of God Calbuco. The headline is mysterious human figure of God forms in clouds following Calbuco volcanic er- eruption. And it's just this <laughs> massive like Godzilla-sized uh, smoke figure. It's, it's pretty freaky. Looking. No, it's Jesus. <laughs> Or is it Putin? Why do they call it Putin God? Do it. Why don't they call it Satan? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty scary to me. All right. Do we have anything, uh, any other major earth change type events that have occurred recently that we wanted to mention? Oh, those are. I think those are the main ones that that I had anyway. Um, and looking back at you know, these past couple of weeks, it was interesting to see um, another topic of conversation that we were talking about last week was the you know animal importance and it's been quite a number 
of you know these uh, strange births and uh, you know goats looking like uh, you know, humans and you know disfigured in, in one way or the other with uh, you know either the face is disfigured or you know they have uh, multiple limbs. Um, saw uh, you know, it's, it's a baby that was born in India and you know, had a mm-hmm. had uh, it, it, they think that it may have been a conjoined twin that wasn't fully developed uh, because it had you know uh, two sets of arms and two sets of legs and mm-hmm. um, and you know we're, we're seeing we're seeing just a lot of a lot of things like that you know so is, is it a is it a sign from you know the universe that um, one that you know our our planet is just so toxic that you know these things are are happening to um, you know both people or animals. Um, is is it, could it be you know related to you know something along the lines of uh, you know the uh, electromagnetic activity that's increasing? Um, you know, these are these are questions, and um, we don't have the answers. But there have been a lot of photos uh, that have come out um, over the past years about the babies born in Fallujah, Iraq. And not just Fallujah, but many parts of Iraq. Uh, under the Clinton administration, they dumped so much depleted uranium over that country that you have. I mean, these pictures are just horrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, children that don't look like uh, people, like human beings, uh, malformed heads and bodies, um, missing organs. Uh, elongated body parts so um, as far as radiation goes uh, I think that at least there is one of the main causes and uh, probably what we're seeing in other places as well if, if you count you know if you uh, include the fact that the planet is just uh, toxified between uh, what's happened in uh, Fukushima um, its effects on babies in Pennsylvania in the U.S., um, and you know, goodness knows what else and where else. Yeah, and you know the with what happened in Iraq, you know, it just it just reminded me too uh, when you're talking about the children there, and um, you know the way that our leaders, our so-called leaders, you know, address these things. Uh, I remember um, Madeleine Albright, Albright's uh, comment, you know. Um, and a reporter asked her, you know, well, you know, what about the deaths of these millions of children? And oh, well, you know, we think it's worth it. Her words. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing about someone like a Madeleine Albright, not to digress too much, um, you know, if if you see her in other interviews, uh, charming, intelligent woman, uh, and and then she says something. Uh, psychopathically driven like you know we think it's worth it um and you know you just cringe with uh with with terror at, at what this person really is um you know she's a grandmother uh she um i'm sure she's involved in philanthropic uh organizations as well uh but she's a wholesale uh murderer effectively yeah, you would think, you know, there might be some, you know, maternal instinct that, you know, would kind of kick in, but, you know, you can't, you can't define uh, everybody 
you know, like that. Not not everybody has that that human instinct inside that you know would seek to um, you know protect the most vulnerable people. And that sort of brings us to our next uh, topic and probably the theme of the show, and that's the most vulnerable children or people as children. Um, we've been hearing a lot of stories in the news lately uh, about laws that have been coming on the books in various places. There's a new law in uh, in Illinois, uh, which um, basically uh, is so vague in some ways as to as to leave itself open to interpretation by the authorities, uh, so-called. Um, and the gist of it is that um, the law basically threatens parents who leave their children home alone uh, if they're 13 years of age or younger. Um, and uh, the idea is, and I quote, any minor under the age of 14 years whose parent or other person responsible for the minor's welfare leaves the minor without supervision for an unreasonable period of time without regard for the mental or physical health, safety, or welfare of that minor is now considered neglected. Yeah, and the kicker there is that the unreasonable period of time, because, you know, how is that defined? It's not, like you said, it's you know, ambiguous. So, yeah, it's pretty much up to the police to, to say what's reasonable and what's not. And, you know, do we really want to be trusting the police with, with uh, you know, the way that they've been behaving with what's reasonable? Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, just to put this in a little more context, um, in three states... In the U.S., 12 is set as the minimum age, um, and three other states in the U.S. set the bar at eight years old. Um, but for the most part, uh, most of the states are, are taking it on a case-by-case basis, which seems to me to be the most healthy way of looking at it. Um, you know, what are the circumstances? Uh, it's It's not trying to find reasons uh, to go after people, uh, which this law effectively does. And you couple that with the fact that, um, you know, Illinois has a a very um, large number of people who are the working poor or or working class. So you can't separate uh, this new law with the idea that uh, people who are um, poor and, and might have uh, less time and energy and, and resources to uh, have babysitters for their kids, uh, they would be the ones most kind of vulnerable. And, you know, how many families have the luxury anymore of, you know, having one parent being able to stay at home? You know, that's, that's just not, that's just not, it's not a part of the American dream. You know, um, everybody's out and working and, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, a, a teenager, 13 years old, you know, they, that's, that's typically an age of, you know, your, your average babysitter when you're going out and mm-hmm. this is, you know, it's pretty baffling. Well, how many families even have two parents where they would have the luxury of even <clears throat> making that choice that one of them could stay home? Like when I was coming up, there was the whole concept of latchkey kids where, you got home at 3.30 from school and your mom or your dad didn't get home until 5 o'clock, you stayed at home and you watched cartoons yeah. at home. Would that be an unreasonable 
length of time to be at home when you're 13 or even younger? Well, Kansas, the minimum age is six. So, I mean, it's it's just ridiculous when you when you look at not only the disparity between the states and just how just how vague it is and open to interpretation. And whenever you have a law like that, it's like the the Patriot Act, which basically means that they can interpret it however they want. How, yeah, however they want. And so if if whoever is um, prosecuting you or either or just um, taking a look at the kids and if it could just be a matter of if they don't like you or not. Yeah, it doesn't really matter, you know, what the circumstances. It's more all about, you know, the the nanny state, you know, um, and you know, it's basically the state dictating terms uh, for, you know, how people are supposed to behave and act, and you know, they are the parent, uh, supposedly, and um, you know, it kind of it brings up another case, uh, another recent case. There is a, a Maryland parents that were recently in the news, um, uh, you know, I think maybe like a month or so ago, and uh, their kids have been dubbed uh, the uh, free-range kids, and uh, they had previously been charged with uh, neglect for, you know, allowing their kids to walk to school, and, you know, these kids are, uh, I think, like 10 and 7 years old, and, you know, go back, um, you know, 20 years or so ago, and that was commonplace. You know, you hear your stories from your grandfather. I walked to school uphill, uphill both ways, and you know, blah blah blah. And you know, that that's that was that was the norm. Uh, so uh, this couple, um, their kids were playing uh, in in a park, uh, you know, by themselves, and you know, somebody called the police, and the police came and you know, picked them up, took the CP, took them to CPS, and. Now their their kids are in uh, state care, uh, so it's you know another instance of uh, just this you know really um, hysterical um, signs of you know just it's nuts. Yeah, it's it's the idea of being kept safe at the barrel of a gun, and um, the other part of it is the the trauma, uh, you know police uniform guy or not, uh, a child being told uh, that he must, you know, come with them to um, some detention center or, or police station or whatever it is, uh, you know, it's a, that can be a very traumatizing uh, type of thing to happen to a child. I mean, is it going to be any less traumatizing if it's a cop? Taking, you know, kidnapping a child and sending to a detention center versus, you know, uh, some thug uh, who's, who's doing it. I mean, is, is there any difference? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's got to be, you know, just as as like you said, Elon, uh, just as traumatizing. Uh, kind of reminded me of the uh, there was a, a cash for kids scandal in. Uh, Wilkes-Barre, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, a couple years ago, and you know there is this case um, that involved uh, mainly this one judge, but also the principal judge, and he was basically getting kickbacks for uh, sending children to you know this privatized uh, uh, juvenile center that you know they helped uh, build, and 
you know, and they got like a so-called finder's fee uh, for for you know, helping to to build it, and you know, it was like two million dollars. And uh, meanwhile, the judge he's sending you know hundreds and hundreds of kids uh, for like you know these these just baffling periods of time, you know, uh, their whole childhood, like latter childhood. Uh, until they were 18, you know, the asshole like case for it was six years, six years the uh, one kid was in there, you know, and they just they miss their, you know, their that part of their development with, um, you know, with their friends going to school and um, and the reasons that they were being sent. Um, one girl had had posted uh, or she created a, a mock Facebook page of her vice principal, and you know it, she was writing like. It, it wasn't anything even that 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 awful. It was you know just like you know kids being kids and uh, and you know they were charging her with like terrorism and uh, just these you know wild wild charges. And when the um, when the case came up, uh, the uh, the prosecutors basically leaned on the parents and saying, well you know if you cooperate, everything will be fine, and you know you don't need a lawyer. And you know, they would have them sign a consent form. Hmm. Well, that's just—it's the same thing with uh, with private prisons, hmm. where you've got this private institution, and you need to fill the cells with people. So that's just an, an incentive to get as many people into that prison as possible. And there are plenty of judges around that are willing to take a few bucks in order to send a bunch of people that way, even if they wouldn't ordinarily have been sent to prison. In this case, it's being done with children, and well, I just think in general it, it's just a sign of of how how twisted American society is, and the, the people in these positions, like like these judges, are not fit to be in positions of responsibility. It's they they see other people, other people's lives as just chess pieces that they can move around and assemble in different ways in order to make themselves richer. And so they can ruin people's lives simply because they're able to do it and to make a buck. They have, it's, it's, it's the definition of psychopathy to just to treat people like objects like that for your own self gain and for nothing else with no consideration of any kind of higher value or any any kind of value for that person as a person. They're just pieces and objects to be moved around and thrown in prisons in order to make a buck. And all that money, you know, where that's coming from, the taxpayers yeah. are paying for that kind of stuff too. Well, and it and it's even worse than that. Um, if you look at kind of the, the scale of crime, here's some judge, judges just, you know, putting some people away in prison. Well, you know, maybe some people will say, well, that's not so bad, but the, it's that mind, that's the exact same mindset that, that um, the more, well, the violent criminals use. It's the, there's, there's really no difference when you get down to it. And that's when we get into something like human trafficking. Again, it's like, okay, well, here's a market. There's a market for a certain product. So I'm going to take that product and I'm going to move it around and I'm going to make money off of it. And that product just happens to be people. And when you read about these human trafficking cases and what actually goes on, it's just disgusting. And to think that there are uh, like human looking people on this planet 
that can do that and able and are able to sleep at night just fine and swimming in cash because of it it's 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 just sick and protected by their status as lawmakers yeah. or or police or judges uh or uh, healthcare workers um and you know as i look at all of these stories in total uh it seems like um a question is being asked on the part of this body of uh i don't know psychopathic bureaucrats uh you know um law people and it's almost like well how far can we go with this and uh in some cases uh very very far uh to the point of human trafficking mm-hmm. it seems um in other places it 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 seems to just be uh, very egregious and 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 um, traumatizing, but it doesn't quite go that far. But it, it's almost as if the you know there's this uh, push, um, this movement uh, towards um, human trafficking at at the at the kind of farthest end of the spectrum um, that exists, and that is just getting worse. Oh, and when you think about things like child trafficking and, um, you know, child sexual abuse, uh, I think, um, you know, one of your initial impulses is, you know, to think, well, you know, that, that's probably happens to a fairly small percentage of the population. You know, it's, it's not, it's not the worst. Yes, it's a bad thing, but you know, it's not the worst thing, but you know, that's, that's not, it's not really the case. Um, I was just, uh, rereading Anna Salter's book, uh, Predators and, you know, looking at some of her statistics, and it's it's just horrifying. Um, you know, one of the figures that she gives is there's one child molester per square mile in the United States, and these, you know, each one of these individuals um, commits like just these uh, massive number of crimes. Um, there was an interview, uh, or there was a study uh, that. You know, she she brought up in her book, and it was consistent with other studies. And you know, she looked at there was like a there was around 240 um, of these uh, child molesters, and the number of cases that they had, or the number of incidences that they attempted uh, for you know molestation was it was like around 55,000. Just these, these 240 guys. <laughs> 55,000 uh, cases, uh, these were attempts, and I think the, the actual figure. Um, 240 into 1,000 is 4 times 50, so about 200 times per offender we're looking at. 200 times. Yeah, the, the average the average is um, somewhere between uh, each, each of these... Um, Predators has victimizes between 50 and 150 children, and that's not saying you know how many times. Like it's 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 just it's baffling, you know these these figures. And um, I think the 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 study that I mentioned uh, previously it was 232 um, people who were uh, questioned and interviewed, and they had between them 17,000. Victims, I mean, it's, how, how does that happen? 
these 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 are you know it's it's just that's got to be like their only thing that you know they're they're they're, they're focused on. Well, yeah, that, and that's the that's it exactly. I think when you've got a person like that, they are they've got this drive, and they structure their lives around the drive, the impulse, and so that's the only thing they want, and so. That what they do, they organize their entire life around being able to get what they want. So they know that they want to abuse children, and so that so they structure the life in such a way that they're around children, that they have influence, um, uh, a good reputation. They manicure themselves in order to look like a trustworthy person. They groom parents and people in positions of authority over children. And that's the. It's just it's astounding when you think about it, and when you read a book like Predators to see just how um, just how focused they are on that, and just it's like if you if you take any a quality of like let's say a great athlete or something, and how they you know that drive to put everything towards that goal. Well, that's what these people do in order to rape kids, and it's it's just freaky as hell. And to see, like you said, you know, they structure their lives and they get into positions, you know, of power and of, uh, and of authority, in order to accomplish, uh, you know, what they're what they're doing, and you know, here are these all these professions that you know are supposed to be uh, helping professions, and you know, uh, I I worked um, I worked in child welfare for about three years, and you know, I would see, you know, this this divide. You, know, you would have some of the most amazing people uh, working in that field, and you know I'm truly lucky with, with for you know, working with some of those people. I, I learned an incredible amount, but you also see the other side of the coin, and that's with uh, you know those people who uh, you know are getting off on you know abusing or you know torturing either mentally, emotionally, um, you know these these vulnerable populations. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, I, I worked when I started out, I worked at a, a residential center and, um, you know, we'd, we'd be getting kids in, um, that, you know, they, they don't really belong there. Um, and like the, when I was bringing up the kids for cash, uh, scandal, uh, there was a, a similar situation. This was in Rhode Island. And uh, where a judge was, you know, he was just sending kids for, you know, truancy, missing school, um, you know, these these reasons that you know, they, that don't hold any any weight, um, you know, to to these centers, and you know, it and it does devastate their lives, and um, you know, it was a it was, it was a pretty it was a pretty tough job. I you know, it burns you out pretty quick. Yeah, I've worked for CPS. Child Protective Services for about a year. That was pretty much all I could take because it does drain you. The atmosphere is just so negative, and you come to see after just a short amount of time of working there that CPS is not the benevolent society that people make it out to be. Uh, I think that what I learned is that they spend a lot of time just breaking up families and ruining people over minor infractions. What I noticed, like, two things really stood out for me um, in the year that I was working there. The vast majority of the 
the so-called clients of CPS. Uh, they were poor. I'd say very few of them were what I would consider to be middle class. And, of course, there was absolutely no wealthy people who had a CPS case open on them. That was the same for me, too. Yeah. And the second thing was I'd say the majority of them were black. So uh, in this country, um, uh, poverty and minority status often go hand in hand. Um, None of the families could afford any kind of legal representation if there if there was a rare case when they were able to afford a lawyer, the case was immediately dropped. CPS would not pursue any case against a family who had a lawyer. Wow. Yes. And you have to consider, like, um, I was maybe slightly older than some of the other social workers who worked there, but a lot of the social workers are fresh out of school. They have no experience in forensics or interviewing or child interviewing. They have no idea of psychopathy or anything like that. Um, And the things that I saw, I'd say most of it, the parents, they were young. They were inexperienced. They were just minor things. Uh, Schools would call and neighbors would call on each other. Uh, Parents who were divorcing might call on each other family members or neighbors at a beef with you might call on you. Um, there was very few legitimate cases of abuse and neglect, I would say. A lot of it was just the state screwing with poor people and breaking up their families. And then you wonder, too, you know, with those cases that, you know, are, um, that do appear, you know, kind of valid, Mm-hmm. You know, how much is that because of, you know, the, uh, you know, the types of oppression that they're experiencing? And, you know, once the kids get into the system, you know, they stay in it and it tears them apart, mm-hmm. you know. And so if if they get aggressive, you know, then, oh, the, see, it's a, they, they try to use that to prove their point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, so far from the stories we're reading and uh, the experiences um, that you've had, Tiff and Shane, that uh, Child Protective Services seems to be one of those organizations like Homeland Security that exists for itself. Um, That uh, another way to facilitate money going into uh, the coffers of people who are engineering uh, the bureaucracy. and uh, in, in that sense, it doesn't seem to be um, an isolated thing. It, it's part of a, a much larger problem of uh, introducing you know, state-run or federal-run organizations that find a quote-unquote problem that they've created um, and, and just they create, they create the problem effectively. Um, and... Uh, the problem for people who are trying to speak out against it is that it's so entrenched, it's so um, uh, institutionalized that uh, you know you're basically going up against a, a Goliath. Um, and as a front cover, you know they're saying, "Well, we're this is a this is a benevolent kind of uh, thing that we're doing," but uh, it's not. It's it's the opposite. And if you speak out against it, you're lambasted for not wanting to protect the children, not being pro-family. And Think about the children. Yes. Yeah. Well, 
here's just another ridiculous story from March 24th. Uh, the headline is something like, Kansas mom charged with possession of drugs, uh, son removed from home after defending medical marijuana use in class. So on t- on the 24th, uh, Shona, the woman's uh, name, her 11-year-old son and the rest of her, his class were visited by D.A.R.E. officers for a drug education class. So the kid, knowing that his mother's life was saved by cannabis, uh, she was using medical marijuana and cannabis oil, he decided to speak up to inform the class and the D.A.R.E. officers that the information that they were giving was incorrect. From there, he was detained and questioned by Kansas state authorities. And uh, he was taken, I believe, out of the town. And after realizing that her son was late coming home, uh, Shona contacted the school office and found out that her son had been taken by the police. And so she says, quote, my husband and I are separated and neither parent was contacted by the authorities before our son was taken and questioned. So he was out, actually out of the town mm-hmm. for three days. She didn't know where he was, and it was, and they didn't tell her about it because he defended medical marijuana in in class. And uh, I think with that case too, um, yeah, they they weren't even wanting to willing to kind of you know work with the father mm-hmm. even. You know, even though they were, they were separated and you know, had different homes, yeah. yeah, they were still trying to keep the child out of you know, his family. Yeah, they wouldn't give him custody of the kid. That's yeah, it's just incredible. And I think the mother actually got charged with possession yeah. in that case. Too. Yeah, because they found like two ounces of mm. of marijuana and some cannabis oil in her house. Mm. So, so yeah, if you have children, you know, you got to tell them <laughs> that they can't talk about anything when they're in school, you know, unfortunately. But uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, it's we live in this Gestapo state where anything your kid says about you can be used against you, you know, even if it's just something ridiculous and minor. Well, the system is, you know, we're saying just how, you know, massive and, you know, and, uh, it's just like this, like, huge brick wall of oppression, you know, and, you know, it just seems to find its way into, you know, every nook and cranny. Um, when, when we're going over this, these stories, you know, it kind of reminded me of, uh, the Franklin scandal. And, uh, for many listeners who might not be familiar with that case, uh, kind of the Franklin scandal centers around, uh, the, Franklin Credit Union and its uh, managing director, which is uh, Larry King, Lawrence King. And uh, this was going on, you know, in, I think, the uh, 80s. And mm-hmm. um, what, what basically, you know, he was, he was kind of at this, uh, at the center of, you know, this whole network uh, of, of pedophiles um you know that you know is going into uh the halls of power and you know in Washington you know as well as uh all over uh, Omaha and Nebraska and you know it it uh, it was just incredible to see you know the number of reports uh, you know that were being made and compiled you know uh that 
you know, kind of showed without doubt uh, that um, this, this guy Larry King was was you know doing these really really horrific things to to children. Uh, he was um, you know having um, boys abducted from um, Boys Town, and as well as you know the the foster care system, and you know they'd take him to these uh, sex parties and you know sell them to their buddies. Mm-hmm. And uh, the so these reports that were coming out, um, you know, they they were being blocked over and over and over again. And you know, the, these judges they they didn't want to go there, or uh, you know, they they you know may have you know been involved in one way or another, and uh, they just don't don't want to see it. And you know, the 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 people. Even normal people don't want to see it. We don't. We don't want to admit that that kind of stuff is is happening, you know, in our own backyard. Um, but it was just so pervasive, and uh, you know, what it came down to was that it was the you know, FBI was just um, squashing uh, these these investigations, and um, so you know, it, it really brings up the question of. You know how involved our own uh, government is in these types of things. You know how um, how widespread are these things, and you know how you know are, are they going on in every state? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's it was just it's just baffling to see. Um, and the the Franklin scandal. Uh, I've recommended it before, but I'll recommend it again. The book by Nick Bryant. It's just called The Franklin Scandal, and he, it's a it's a long book. I think it's like five or six hundred pages, but it's it's so detailed and so in depth. He really did his research. He read all these all the court records. As he had, he got as much data as he could on the case and just wrote a really great book about it. But what becomes really clear when you read it was just how well organized this was. It had the people doing this had first of all a network of Johns pimps people that they are young kids that they groomed to to groom other children kidnapping human trafficking murder they had con- they had links with judges police pr- pretty much any possible avenue to to get these people and to get justice was blocked off because they, they had these those channels under control so they could control jur- uh they could control uh, court sessions and uh, and sentences, and they actually went after one of the one of the prime witnesses uh, in the case, and she went to jail as opposed to her abusers. It's it, it it's just astounding, really, to see what's going on. How and not only that, it goes to the very top in the Franklin scandal. Um, Bryant he doesn't. He doesn't name a few names, but in other sources and in other interviews, uh, you can find out who these people were and who these children saw. This went to the top of the White House in the 80s. And by top of the White House, I mean directly to George H.W. Bush. He was named as one of the perps, one of the, the violent pedophiles that was involved in this. And not just him. There were people involved in CIA, um, other other people from the White House. And this stuff... Um, like I'd I bet it's it's going on until today. 
it's it's still going on. These these are just the types of people that you find in Washington, apparently. Washington and you know the UK. There's yep. uh, that that case with uh, the uh, UK politician uh, Lord uh, Jenier, and uh, he um, he was he's been you know accused of these like 22 sexual offenses against uh, nine boys and. He supposedly, you know, just very conveniently uh, came down with a, a case of dementia. Yeah, severe case of dementia. Yeah, yeah. And and if that's not bad enough, then uh, what you know what really makes it worse is that you know the judge excused him from po- uh, prosecution because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, she you know, said that you know it, it would be. Um, you know, it's 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 inhumane to to put a, a man like that on on who you know it's 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 yeah. insane. I think the other justification was that uh, you know he he would he's no longer a threat to children because of his dementia, as though all of his um, crimes uh, weren't uh, you know somehow worthy of being addressed. Uh, and him standing trial, or at least you know, if he if he has, if it's true that he has dementia, uh, it doesn't it doesn't make what he's done when he didn't have dementia uh, any less of a crime. Um, but uh, one of the other kind of larger points about this, and in particular with the Franklin scandal, is um, you also have uh, a complicit media, um, mm-hmm. and. In the Franklin scandal, I believe there's a, a little bit of discussion of the fact that you have these um, hired gun attack dog journalists who uh, who take the side of of the courts and the case um, and and basically destroy uh, anyone's reputation who is ha- who happens to be speaking in opposition to these forces. Um, so, uh, and that's also, I think, kind of like another one of these shocks that you experience when you're reading all of this stuff. It's like, how can this be, you know, how can all of this be? And to such a degree. And the reason is, uh, you know, the, the Gary webs of the world have been marginalized, uh, or cut out, um, or subverted in some way. And, um, and we 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 really don't have a, a media, uh, in large part, that has any real integrity. Um, you look at the BBC and you know their own right. pedophile network. Yeah. yeah, it was uh it was interesting to see. Yeah, in in the Franklin scandal, I think it was the uh, Omaha Daily Sun or, or or something like that, and. You know, it was uh, ultimately owned by like Warren Buffett or you know one of those big wigs, and um, they would come out and they would prime people uh, by you know writing these puff pieces on Larry King. They wrote a puff piece on his um, his sister, who was one of the um, foster parents involved in you know trafficking these kids, and you know she was she was awarded some. Like a foster parent of the year, given you know, and given the award at the, like the White House, or yeah, it, so they would be writing, they would be priming people in favor of these predators while taking down 
you know, anybody who would kind of come out against it. Even the the mayor of um, Omaha, he he was uh, he was trying to get rid of the the sheriff, who was also you know uh, friends with uh, Larry King, and he eventually did get rid of him. But the um, the the press they they tore him apart so badly that he eventually he you know he got uh, kicked out of office and the uh, sheriff got reinstated and you know, it just shows you know how much power um, they have uh, to to do these sorts of things. Well, Ilan, I think we got a clip. Tell us about it. Yeah. Well, um, so. Nancy Schaefer uh, was a former Georgia state senator. Uh, she's conservative, you know, um, was president of uh, the Eagle Forum of Georgia and Eagle Forum's uh, national chairman of parents' rights um, and spoke out quite vociferously against uh, the corruption of child protective services. Um, and what she was trying to do was basically draw attention to widespread uh, pedophilia and sex crimes against kids in the U.S. I mean, she she kind of um, had a bird's eye view of of what was going on, and uh, was brave enough to come out and speak against it. Um, in uh, August of 2009, she gave a speech to the World Congress of Families in Amsterdam uh, in the Netherlands. And um, the subject of the speech was the unlimited power of child protective services. And she spoke before uh, 4,000 folks and was basically stating how the child protective services is itself a threat uh, to children and families in the U.S., um, but also to other types of organizations around the world that were following its model. Um, and, you know, along with Child Protective Services, the whole, you know, institutions of foster care, family court and adoption services, um, and how they were supplied, as you were saying earlier, Shane, with taxpayer money, um, and we're, we're also given financial incentives by the by the given states to uh, to be run in the way that they were. Um, so it's it's a pretty interesting talk. I don't know if we'll have time to um, cover both parts, but uh, what she says is pretty compelling. She sounds like a, a credible um, witness and uh, an activist um, in in this area. So uh, we're going to play that clip, and uh, there are just a couple of other things regarding that that uh, bear mentioning. Well, my name is Nancy Schaefer, and um, I'm from the state of Georgia in the United States. And um, thank you for your gracious invitation to join you tonight, and uh, thanks to all of you who have made this incredible World Congress of Families number five in Amsterdam possible. It's a privilege for me to join you tonight and uh, to be with you in some pro-family uh, policy here. Uh, I will share with you on the unlimited power 
of Child Protective Services. I served in the Georgia State Senate. And after four years of viewing the ruthless and unsparing actions of Child Protective Services, also called CPS, which I will use tonight, I wrote a scathing report entitled, The Corrupt Business of Child Protective Services. <laughs> Thank you. The report cost me my Senate seat. Here's some copies of the report, if you'd like to get one. However, there are causes worth losing over. And this is one. I'm going to, uh, uh, to talk about some of the problems and then some realistic, maybe, solutions uh, for families and children and uh, maybe look to some steps that we can take. This is not to say that there are not those children in wretched situations who need to be removed. There are, and we all agree. But tonight, I'm talking about those children removed from their homes intentionally for profit. Children are seized unnecessarily from their families due to the federal aid created in 1974 entitled the Adoption and Safe Families Act. It offers financial incentives to the states that increase adoption numbers. To receive the adoption incentives or bonuses, local CPS must have more children. They must have more merchandise to sell. Funding is available when a child is placed in a foster home with strangers or placed in a mental health facility and medicated, usually against the parent's wishes. Parents are victimized by the system that makes a profit for holding children longer and bonuses for not returning children to their parents. This is abuse of power. It is lack of accountability. And it is a growing criminal political phenomenon spreading around the globe. Oftentimes, but not always, poor parents are targeted to lose their children because they do not have the wherewithal to hire an attorney or fight the system. Being poor and lacking proper housing does not mean your children should be removed. CPS has redefined poor to mean psychologically inferior. Therefore, it is in the best interest of the child to be removed. Best interest, of course, has also been redefined at the child's expense. It has been reported over and over that six times as many children die in foster care than in the general public. Once a child is legally kidnapped and placed in official safety, the child is far more likely to suffer abuse, including sexual molestation and or rape. Case workers and social workers are often guilty of fraud 
They withhold and destroy evidence, and they seek wrongly to terminate parental rights while being protected by state immunity. There is a huge bureaucracy made up of judges, court-appointed attorneys, guardian ad litems, social workers, state employees, court investigators, therapists, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, foster parents, adoptive parents, and on and on, who are looking to the children in state care for their job security. Judges have control over private living arrangements and income of 48.3 million Americans. The United States Census Bureau reported in 2002 that 40 billion in transfer payments were made between households of custody parents and other parents. That money, 40 billion, is under the direction and control of family court judges in environments covered with confidentiality laws that protect the wrong people. Fathers are victims of this unjust system. Child support payments, even without having visits with their children, are choking the very life out of fathers. Three fathers, of whom I am aware and have been in touch with, committed suicide in the last 12 months because they lost the opportunity to even visit with their children. These are... There we go. Sorry about that, guys. Hey. So, uh, obviously, um, Nancy Schaefer, a highly uh, articulate lady, um, very credible, um, very brave, uh, saying just a number of things that uh, very compelling, um, and uh, and would obviously present a big challenge um, if more people were listening uh, to what she was saying. Um, interesting that she would only have this kind of voice in uh, in Amsterdam at, a, at an event there, the World Congress of Families in Amsterdam. Uh, don't remember if she just mentioned it in this first part. Um, she did, actually. Um, and it's confirmed. Six times, children have six times the likelihood of dying in custody of Child Protective Services than they would have at home. Uh, I mean, the, putting that kind of data um, into the uh, information field, into uh, the media, um, would would definitely present a, a serious issue. Um, and uh, something I believe she says in the second part uh, was that she wanted to, I mean, she thinks ultimately the best thing would be to shut Child Protective Services down and start anew. Just, you know, it, it being that corrupt. Um, a very sad thing uh, about Nancy Schaefer was less than a year later, uh, she and her husband, uh, 50 years, uh, were shot dead in their home. It was officially ruled a murder-suicide. 
And um, yeah, uh, whether it's connected to this or not, uh, we don't know. But um, it it would certainly well, sure, it's sus- it sure is suspicious. Yeah. I mean, you know, you 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 hear these statistics, and you know, they're just so baffling. And you know, you have to wonder, you know, uh, what percentage or or how much of that is, you know, from these rings, you know, that are you know, they're, it's not it's not just accidental that you know these these children are dying. You know that that these that these uh, corrupt and just like inhuman creatures are are doing these things intentionally. And if they have the kind of power, like you know we know they do from you know the examples from uh, the Franklin scandal, um, you know it it would follow that. You know, her death could very well uh, be linked to you know this sort of activity, and you know, they don't want that kind of information out. Um, yeah. Well, um, there are a couple of other terms she used to describe the CPS uh, being abusive of power and having just lacking of credibility. And I have heard those terms described so many times. Uh, you know, in reference to um, the CIA, Department of Homeland Security, NSA, uh, all of these other agencies that aren't transparent, the farthest thing from transparent. Um, and unfortunately, you'd have to have some kind of intimate uh, experience with them um, or information in the way that uh, someone like a state senator like Nancy Schaefer would have to realize how this is true. Uh, you'd have to be, uh, it'd have to be upfront and personal. Otherwise, unless you make a point of reading something like the scandal or reading SOT or, or another alternative news source uh, that isn't afraid to come out with this information, you just don't know how ba- how bad it is. And you block it out too. I mean, when you come across this information, you don't want to believe it. You know, it's it's that shocking and it's that horrifying that you know, you just you, know, you don't want to believe it, and you know, so you build narratives around you know these, these stories. Well, you know, this happened, that happened, and you know, just got in a bad situation, or or you know, so on and so on. And um, the that's how these predators kind of survive. You know, they they know that. Uh, our very nature will create these narratives, and they use that to, you know, kind of just, uh, um, just you know, conti- uh, continue the deception, and um, and that's how they get their victims. All right. Well, we're going to try giving Tammy a call. Looks like she's available, so just bear with us for a minute as we see if we can get our technology to work as we want it to. Hello. Hi, Tammy. Yes. Hi there. Hi, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let me just introduce you a bit first uh, for for our listeners. Sure. Um, well, first of all, first of all, uh, we've got four people four people in the studio today. Uh, okay. Harrison. We've we've got Ilan, Shane, and Tiffany. Okay. Tiffany. Tammy. 
Hi, so hi Shane everybody. Actually, Shane actually did a few years of work uh, in welfare services, and uh, Tiffany had a, a year in child protective services. So we've got some some pr perspectives there for the for the conversation. Excellent. Excellent. But, uh, and in what state, may I ask? I I was in uh, Rhode Island. Um, I, I actually worked for a family agency. Uh, when I started out, I was in residential, and that was uh, probably about a year there, and it was a, in a boys' emergency shelter, and uh, that eventually got shut down, but I stayed with the um, with the agency, and the, uh, it was a foster family support program, and we did a visitation and stuff, and uh, eventually, I, you know, I... I got pretty burnt out and it, it was a it was a pretty rough um experience the, the agency i thought you know was uh, made up of you know um, many good people uh but you know just the working with the state that was really one of the tough ones. and you said that that was Rhode Island yes yes yeah, and I yeah. work for the Children's Services Board in Ohio. Oh, in Ohio. Yeah. Wow. So I'm okay, so I'm more or less I'm more or less familiar with both, and I'm from Rhode Island, so I'm very familiar with the system there. Ironically. Yeah, I was um, uh, I was working here at the time when there was a judge uh, similar to the uh, Kids for Cash case. Uh, right. When uh, the judge. What was it? Sending kids to the the shelters for what was the you know, judge's name? I I can't remember. Yeah, you know, was it a male, or female? Yeah, he was the he was the head of um, the uh, child and family uh, court. Um, was it Bevilacqua? Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. No. Anyway, anyway, not important. Uh, um, okay. Okay. Uh, Tammy, just let me introduce you there first. So everyone sure. knows who we're talking to. So okay. Tammy Stefano is the executive director of the National Safe Child Coalition. Uh, she has spent over two decades on the front lines fighting for child safety. She's a member of various abuse and maltreatment committees and has launched capital campaigns for law enforcement, fire organizations, and fire uh, and public schools. Um, Tammy is eager to launch a campaign to reform a broken system. So Tammy, to start out with, just could you tell us a little bit about what it, what na what National Safe Child does and how you got involved in just doing what you do? Sure, you know, um, and forgive me if there's noise in the background. Um, so I got involved because I I was brought into a couple of cases. I have a legal background. I was brought into a couple of cases. One very close, one was a familial case, and um, um, it just, it wasn't good. Well, you know what, I want my granddaughter, who's standing near me right now, and who's going to be leaving to go back with her dad. Um, she lives with her dad, so she's going to give a shout-out, guys, and then she's got to go. So uh, this is Angelina. Who who knows Hi, a lot about what we're what we're talking about? So let me uh, we'll be we'll be savvy. I'm going to put the the earpiece in her ear for a minute, and I'm going to let her give a shout out. Go ahead. 
Um, okay. Uh, hi. Go ahead and say your name. Say how um, old you are. My name's Angelina. And how old hi, are Angelina. you? Hi, I'm 11. And uh, what do you want to say? Um, I guess just hi. What am I supposed to say? Hi. There's no, there's no Hi. Holes. All right. Well, I say, okay, bye. <laughs> All right. Okay. So part of, uh, that's part of the reason why I do what I do, actually. So mm-hmm. we began to see a lot of systemic failures. Um, I'm going to walk away, gentlemen, just so that I'm not, I'm not here. Here you go. Um, I'm so sorry. Okay. Now I can speak a little freely. So what I saw was I saw so much abuse in child custody cases. I saw um, children who were disclosing abuse by one parent, you know, mom or dad, primarily dad when it came to sexual abuse. And the parents would take the matter before the family court. And it was consistently the parent who was actually being accused of abuse that would gain full custody while the other parent would be put on paid supervised visitation. And the cost for the parent who did nothing wrong other than to say that they believed the child and the child disclosed that they were being abused was horrific. And the more cases that I started to get, um, the more that DCFS, CPS got involved. Uh, if they get involved and it's and they do an interview, and it's unfounded, then what happens is the parent who believes the child then gets deemed as uh, making false allegations against the other parent to gain custody. And they label it more as a malicious uh, attempt in order to alienate, and I'm sure we've all heard that word, alienate the other parent. Thousands and thousands of cases um, are so evident and obvious. I can't tell you, I've had hundreds of cases where the it's not possible for there to be false allegations because I have cases where there's four-year-old children with STDs. It's not a false allegation. The child is identifying the father. Um, mom loses all custody. It's so typical. And, um, you know, the, the question gets raised as to why. Why is this happening? And there's, there's a lot of different theories. I'd love for, for some of the folks on the line to tap in on, on what their opinion is about it. Well, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think there's, a, you know, there's probably several reasons. Uh, one, of, one of the topics that um, we cover at, on uh, South.net a lot is the uh, the phenomenon of you know, uh, pathological types and uh, specifically psychopaths and you know and how they kind of get into positions of power and you know you have you, when you have these decisions being made and handed down 
you know, you really do have to question, you know, how much uh, empathy and how much, you know, how much of a conscience uh, can can these judges have to, you know, make these types of decisions and 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 then you know, so I think that 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 could be a significant part, um, you know, and then there's uh, the uh, additional um, issue, which you know would seem kind of interconnected, would be. You know, are are these um, these rings that you know that we're that we're seeing that are tied into you know the politicians and judges and you know uh, the you know the wealthy um, class and you know in any given area and you know and their involvement in these things you know so is it is it that it's taught like the network is so. Um, involved in you know in so many areas that um that they don't want you know these things to come out um that you know it would be you know similar to like the you know big too big to fail type thing um, right that you know it's just such a massive thing that you know they um try to cover it up that's right that's absolutely right you know um i can tell you that there was a a local community college that was, they had a legal secretary's class and kind of a certificate, I guess, type of program. And they had a presiding judge come in and give a lecture to these, to these folks that were taking this course um, about a month before or a month and a half before they were ready to graduate. And one of the people within the class called me and said, you're never going to believe this. And I said, what? And she said, you know, this judge came in and said 50% of the parents that bring in to the court allegations of sexual abuse or, um, you know, similar, similar type of allegations are lying, 50%. There is no such numbers. There's no such research that exists. On the contrary, we're looking at about 2%. And about a year and a half, a couple of years ago, um, Canada had a big study that showed 0% of children will lie to the parent about abuse. And the reason Mm -hmm. being that it became zero is because if they are interviewed with somebody who is trained to interview them, they would not get past that person. It would not happen. So here we have a judge who's giving these minds who really are not schooled, and they are vulnerable. And as a matter of fact, most people, when they look at a judge, it's an automatic whatever he says has to be true. It's set in stone. Mm-hmm. And that, that so perception... It, it, there is no such thing as 50. Yeah, where, it, where does that come from? Does that just... Uh, is a, it just like... It's his own mind. It doesn't come from anywhere. Right. There is no such study. I mean, I I do extensive research on this. Any cited research wouldn't ever go near that number, even if it was not a conservative number. It would never be anywhere near 50. That was his own number. And I was livid. I I actually made made an appointment and went in about two weeks later and... (laughs) And I spoke with the class before they graduated, and I said, I just want you to know, okay, I heard about the presiding judge, and I need to set the record straight, and I just gave them a bunch of literature. 
I said, you know, we have to get to the point where, and, and I really believe this, and I'm saying it not just to that class, but to everybody, that all of your listeners. Um, we have to get to the point where we do our own research. If we have the Internet, and, and those, uh, you know, those listeners that don't have the Internet, they have the libraries that offer free Internet. Information is so readily available for free. And if we fail to do a little research in, some, in an area that's so very important, then shame on us for the repercussions that the government is now imposing, that Department of Children and Family Services, Child Protective Services, is now imposing, you know, the, the right to parent your child. Those fundamental liberties ha- are, are literally being stripped from the American people. And if they do not take a stand and they do not know their rights, how could they ever exercise them? Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Well, can you, Go ahead. Can you, can you tell us a bit about um, about Child Protective Services? Like, what are the what are the protocols that they take for for removing children from their parents? Um, you know, what kind of restrictions do they have? What can they do? What can't they do? Uh, what should okay. they do? Sure. What shouldn't they do? They okay. Well, let me tell you um, what my experience is, and my experience covers many states. Um, what they have a right to do is so if somebody makes an allegation of abuse, they would call the hotline. The hotline would then send out an emergency response worker. This emergency response worker would go out and investigate. Now. Depending upon the um, type of allegation that it, that was made, whether it's sexual abuse, whether it's physical abuse, the, you know, the kid being beat or something of that sort, that will really be dependent upon how soon this emergency response worker is going to, to actually go out and investigate. And when they go out and investigate, typically, from my experience, and, and folks, I know that you folks certainly have worked for um, you know, that part of the system, so maybe you have a different perspective. However, the thousands of workers that I have dealt with, the ER workers anyway, they go out and they spend anywhere between 10, maybe 20 minutes on a good day with the child. They're going to the home where the allegations were um where these allegations allegedly are taking place, okay? They don't remove the child, say, into a hallway or outside, let's go for a walk, let's talk. It's typically the parent goes, they ask the parent to go and sit in another room, if they do that, if. Sometimes they say they go to another corner of the room. So if you can imagine that you have this child who is, possibly being terribly, terribly abused, okay, and you have an ER worker come, another stranger, and a lot of times they'll, t- they'll send a male ER worker to interview a tiny female child regarding sexual abuse. That's not going to fly very well, okay? So, I mean, this is just common sense. Send a female to a female, especially given the allegations, dependent upon what they are. They spend 10 to 15 minutes. They go back to their office. They put into a system, an, an SCM system, 
They answer multiple choice questions. At the end of answering these questions, whatever the system spits out, that's the determination of the, um, you know, the probability of, of risk. If it's a high risk, moderate risk, low risk, no risk, a system, a computerized system. So you'd better hope that this ER worker isn't tired, isn't bitchy and in a bad mood, <laughs> didn't like, you know, the father, the mother, whatever. Because if they don't answer exactly right, this child could potentially just be left at risk. Hmm. It's a computer system. A, a computer system cannot determine abuse of children. That's the bottom line. Cannot. And then after that, if it does rise to the level of warranting further investigation, then they hand it off to a social worker, and the social worker goes out and will speak to two or three collaterals if they can find them. They'll interview the people, and they just ask very generalized questions typically. You know, have you ever seen anything? Do you know about anything? Well, I can tell you. With sexual abuse, nobody knows about anything but the child and the abuser. And that's it. And if they're really lucky and if such a word could be used in such a criminal offense, action, or act, um, the, a sibling knows. A sibling walked in. You know, um, father confide to somebody. Mother confide to somebody. I mean, 20% of females are also, you know, they sexually abuse. 20% not just males. I've got a couple of cases. And the unfortunate thing with the females abusing, sexually abusing children is, you know, men have a, it's, it's just implemented into a boy's um, personality, right? You don't cry. Come on, you're not a sissy. Don't cry. Be tough. Be strong. Well, on the other hand, you have the girls saying, oh, sweetheart, come here. Does it hurt? So boys already are, you know, they really get the short end of the stick as, as younger children because they both should be treated. Something hurts. Guess what? It doesn't matter what gender. It's still hurting. If somebody needs to cry, it doesn't matter. Um, if you need to cry, you need to cry, male or female. So boys are certainly at a disadvantage. And then growing up, unfortunately, um, they have... Uh, when they're abused, the mindset is that boys should, uh, they get a pat in the back, you know? Um, you get into high school, you get into junior high, my gosh. I mean, forgive me for being so blunt, but we'll just call a spade a spade. You know, they're going to get a pat in the back if they, if they, you know, got in bed with somebody. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, you see all those cases with the uh, teachers and um, you know ab- abusing you know boys you know twelve thirteen, 13 years old. Yeah, getting pregnant, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what about and, that teacher? Yeah. Yeah, and when there's a story posted about that, you read all the comments on the bottom. There's all these males who chime in like, "Where was this teacher when I was growing up?" Like that's a great thing that happened. To imagine that, and that's exactly the mindset. That's exactly the mindset, and it's such a problem because I assure you, the emotional impact that it has, although they won't share that part of it, 
And the trauma that it causes is no different. They are traumatized. They are violated. They have been... Um, they, their, their map, their brain map, their path, um, their brain development, everything has been altered as a result of. And the problem with the boys is, or the young men, um, teenagers, they'll never say it. They just won't say it. Even if it comes out, they're going to say, are you kidding? <laughs> I'm blessed. I'm better than all the other guys now because I started young. I love you. Aw. So... I can tell you guys, um, you know, well, I'm not going to. Oh, there's a lot I could share, but but it's not the time yet. So corruption with judges, anyway. Um, corruption in this system. They make the wrong decisions. Um, they place children in jeopardy. I, I have a lot of whistleblowers that have reached out. And um, part of... What the whistleblowers tell me is the problem is that the government is actually pushing for this. Um, and as hard as it is to believe that the government could ever be pushing for such a thing, we just need to think about it very logically. Say for some sick, demented reason that the American people couldn't begin to fathom. Because it, it, there's no logic in it. Say we consider that the government was advocating for a, a breakdown of a safe childhood. Say they were in some sense advocating for trauma infliction to, to come in and actually promoting it, allowing it. What would that do to the child? Well, it would cause the child, when a child's abused, they become more sexualized. They become, become more promiscuous. They become more dependent, more open, more um, desperate. They're not the grounded people, obviously, that, that we would see from somebody who was not abused. So they're, you know, a lot of military, have a lot of military um, whistleblowers, and they say... They've been part of some testing, you know. Um, I can't speak a lot about it right now because it's, there's a lot, and my God, if it's true, I, I, it's devastating. Um, but the bottom line is, if it's true, and I'm, I'm waiting to get more information, we are in such trouble. I mean, we are just screwed, and it really will take we the people as a whole to really come together in a way that I don't know if um, I don't know if people at this day and age have the capability to come together in such a way mm-hmm. because it's quite Tam- scary. Go ahead, Tammy. It sounds like it sounds like the, the system is completely broken because on the one hand you started talking out, out you started you started out talking about how what are possibly real allegations of abuse will basically get ignored or filtered out from like the computer testing. So on the one hand, we've got, we've got, on one hand, we've got children who are actually being abused, who are, whose voices are not being heard and nothing will be done. On the other hand, we've got, um, when something actually is done, the child will often up, end up with the, with the abuser as opposed to the parent that should have custody. 
So, right. and I'm sure and, there's and more. It seems, you know, absolutely. Well, let me, let me talk about a third scenario. The third scenario is there are some really abusive parents, and these children desperately need help. I mean, they need to be removed. You know, those scenarios truly exist, and, and they're, they're horrific. But the problem is, guys, and ladies and gentlemen, when we, when we hear about these cases, um, there's no time for the social workers. I mean, here in Los Angeles, it's the largest DCFS um, entity in the nation, okay? There are 7,000 social workers just in Los Angeles County. That only encompasses 22% of the actual workers, 22%. So the other 78%, that's, and that, that number's real, 7,000. So the other 78% are sitting in an office pushing a pencil. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, um, it seems like in addition to all of these scenarios where the uh, the children aren't protected from the parents who... Uh, There's no time. Really they don't have time. Abusive. They're too busy. Right. They're too busy taking the, parent, the children away from good parents. So there's no time to actually focus on the children that truly are desperately need our help. Like Gabriel Fernandez. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that case. Is no. anybody here? No? So Gabriel Fernandez is a case that... Um, that is near and dear to my heart and will be, you know, forever. Um, little boy, eight years old, 69 calls to the department, 69. Um, nobody did anything. Actually, we call them drive-bys because they had to put uh, the social workers, being they, they had to put their, uh, you know, write down their mileage. And when they wrote down their mileage, they would, in fact, drive by the house, and that was the extent of it. Most oftentimes, they didn't stop. They stopped a couple of times, and what the neighbors said is, I saw them walk in. We were so happy, and listen, five minutes later, they walked right out. We watched them walk away. Well, this little boy, inevitably, um, he was murdered. He was oh, used as target practice. He had BBs oh. lodged in his groin, in his lungs lodged. He had almost every tooth in his mouth knocked out. He had burn marks from the bottom of his feet to his neck. He was sodomized. He was beat. He, I mean, there was just nothing. His skull was crushed in. Three months, three months, they had a chance. 69 calls. Nobody did a damn thing. Those cases that are slipping through the cracks, Children, I have interviews that I have not publicized yet simply because there is uh, litigation going on against the department in this particular case. Um, and I don't want to taint it whatsoever because this little boy, um, he deserves something more than certainly he was given. Um, however, I do have, I have firsthand interviews with the teacher the teacher was so distraught, she came to many of my events, and she said, I did everything. I mean, I had the social worker's number on speed dial. What more could I do? She went to her school principal. The principal said, she said, I'm going to take pictures 
because I don't know what to do. Black eyes. I mean, you name it, guys. This wasn't a secret. It wasn't hidden. It was ignored because they were too busy doing dishonest things with with families that they didn't need to because there's some financial incentives. Okay. Yeah, anyway. That's the really the conundrum of Child Protective Services. On the one hand, you have children who are taken away from parents who... I mean, maybe they might benefit from some parenting classes, but they're not abusing or purposely neglecting their children. And on the other hand, um, there's legitimate abusive cases that are ignored. Uh, The workers are, like I said before, I don't know if you heard this part before you came onto the show, but they're very young. They're inexperienced. They have no uh, experience with forensic interviewing. Uh, They're burnt out. They drive by the house. They'll knock very quietly. If nobody answers, they just leave. Um, right. So That's right. the real legitimate cases, they're falling through the cracks, and then they're going after the easier targets. And what makes exactly. this tragic, too, is that, you know, you have um, the the people that are, you know, making these reports, they're overcoming a, a, a good degree of denial that people, most people do face in situations of abuse. And, you know, to, to, you know, have these people, you know, make these, um, these reports and, you know, stand up and then just to be squashed back down, you know, it, it's, it's tragic because then on the other hand, you have these uh, cases of abuse going on where everybody does, you know, just turn away and, you know, and nobody sees it. And, you know, and that, that, that continues to happen. And yeah, it's, it's just an all around uh, awful situation. That's absolutely right. That's that. We need the system. I don't even know if it can be repaired. I I used to say, you know, because respectfully, I say this. There are some great social workers, but you know, one of the whistleblowers that um, that I often communicate with. She, I said, you know, and I do want to be fair. I've met some really great social workers um, that really do. Thorough investigations that are trained that know they know what to look for. Not these young, uh, wet behind the ears. They have no business, and they should feel, um, you know, they should feel a conscience to go in and try to uh, make a, a, a discernment as to whether a child has been sexually abused. Or, you know, physical abuse is a lot easier, as we all know. You see a mark. Um, and it's, it's not going along with the story that you're hearing. Listen, I was up until three o'clock in the morning last night. This little boy, I've got a picture right now. The parent sent me a picture. He's got a black eye. This is the second black eye this week. Um, it's really, really bad. And what do we do? Um, I interviewed the little boy over the phone because it was better to interview the little boy over the phone and at least get something, and I recorded it with mom's permission, than to have absolutely nothing at all. So, that's, after that, the police came, and, and luckily, luckily, we had a really nice police officer, and um, she was trained. See, sometimes you just, you just really, really luck out. Can you speak a little bit to what happens in some cases where um, I don't know if, if you've um, if you've seen 
once uh, a child is taken into custody by these organizations and gets kind of lost in the in the system of, of uh, foster care terrific. and and uh, yeah, I, I mean, if, if there are so, um, that, okay, I'll that give you a, of it. Sure, I'll give you a case that I'm actually working on. We're going to court next week. Um, Jewish family, um, wealthy Jewish family. The dad is Israeli, not from this country. Mom is from this country. And um, lots of domestic violence. Mom is reporting the domestic violence, and she has her own money, okay, Um, well before she was married to this man. Well, when uh, the department came in, Child Protective Services came in, because there was domestic violence, which truly is traumatizing to a child, and because both parents, and, and this had been ongoing, the proper protocol in that case is to remove the child or to have one of the parents, typically it's the mother, if the mother's the one being abused, um, to go and live at a, at a domestic violence shelter. Mm-hmm. Most times, I'd say 80% conservatively, most times the father will say, no, 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 I want my child to stay here and I'll just move out. In California, the department doesn't allow that because they say they don't believe that. We don't believe that you're really going to believe that you're going to leave. So if mom does not go into a shelter, then we're going to take the kid. In this instance, they did take the kid, even though mom and dad completely did separate permanently. And when they took, not the kid, it was actually two, it's a little boy and a little girl. Um, they kept them together. They placed him in a foster home initially. And about a week and a half later, they separated them. All the while, mom and dad being separated are going to court, trying to fight this, trying to get attorneys. You know, the typical alarming, emotionally driven state that any parent is in when they realize that the child is with a stranger. Well, they ended up after a week and a half separating this little boy and this little girl because for whatever reason. The little boy got put in a um, in a home with Hispanic family that couldn't speak English very well. So there was a communication problem. Not only could, couldn't they speak English, but the little boy was sexually abused while he was in the home. Unbelievable is the next part of this story, which is he tells the social worker, the social worker confirms that the department leaves him in that very same home. They leave him there for another month and a half. <laughs> and it's all documented. They never told either parent so imagine that you're going to court. You're fighting for your child. Your fight is because you, your child is away, has been removed from the home. You're never in a million years thinking while your child was moved, removed from this 7,000 square foot right down the street from Kim Kardashian's house, by the way, in Calabasas, that um, your child's being raped by somebody who really he can't even communicate with because there's such a, a great language barrier. In Los Angeles County, um, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, actually, they um, approved 1,000 convicted sexual offenders. 
They proved them to be foster parents. Went mm-hmm. out and convicted. And on the sexual registry, on the khaki um, index. <laughs> yeah. Approved. That's so what does that tell you? Yeah. And that's real. The LA Times covered it. Um, it was it was in the newspaper. They came out with it. These are real numbers. There's really no um, proper protocol for vetting people out to be a foster parent. And so what are the criteria that they use? Well, they're going to do a fingerprinting. Um, they're going to take some background information. If you pass the fingerprinting, you're pretty much passed. They're going to do a home. They're going to go into your home. They're going to see if there's any safety risks. Listen, somebody's coming to my home. I'm an abuser. I'm going to clean up the house. I'm going to burn a candle, and I'm going to make it look like it's hunky-dory because I want that child. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the reality. And because they're so desperate. Why are they desperate? Because in Los Angeles, there's like 32,000 children that have been removed just in Los Angeles. I mean, and and there's a financial incentive behind this, too. Do you know how much, I don't know, um, you know, in Los Angeles County, how much are foster parents paid to take in children? Sure. So they're paid anywhere from, and it depends on what type of foster parent, because, you know, we have the the, the kinship program, which is you're a foster parent, but you're actually related to the family in some way. Um, but, the, you know, the, the mom and dad can't take care of the child, so you'll come in as an aunt, a cousin, because if there is any family and the family steps up, it falls under that kinship. And um, they get paid less. So it's about 500 and, 500 and something dollars a month. Now, the foster parents get paid anywhere from uh, $500 to $1,500, depending upon if the child has behavioral issues, if the child has to take psychotropic drugs. So last month, LA Times again comes out with 50% of the children just in Los Angeles County are on in, in the system are on psychotropic drugs. Fifty, actually, fifty-one, fifty-one percent. So, what does that mean? That means those numbers, that payment, that goes way up. It can, actually, it can go up to eighteen hundred per child. Now, imagine um, a foster home having five children. You don't have to work. I have two judges here. Two judges that I know are corrupt. Actually, one got removed from the family law bench and now sits on, um, he does the domestic violence restraining orders. He has a couple, he has three children, two or three children from the system. Another judge, I'd love to say his name, but I can't right now, but I will, I will email it to you as soon as we're done with what we're doing. Um, he and his wife had three children from the system. And the more we started looking, the more we saw that so many of these professionals are adopting these children. Well, guess what? When you adopt a child through the system, they're paying you until that child's 18 years old. And then to further add add further insult, if the child doesn't stay with you anymore because you end up being deemed an abuser, like a case that I had a couple of months ago, 
when two children got removed from a, uh, an adoptive mom who was abusing them um, their whole lives, by the way. When they got removed, when, and I spoke with CPS, they said she'll continue to get the money, even though they don't live with her anymore. So imagine that, taxpayer. Even though. Yeah, outrageous. This is our money. We pay for this. <laughs> what happens when these kids turn 18? Does it stop? The payment? Like, uh, I mean, not just not just the money, but uh, just in general. Like, uh, so you've got you've got a kid that was put in foster care or with, uh, uh, and, and so he turns 18. He or she he has a right to leave. Um, he has he has a right to mm-hmm. leave, or she has a right to leave. Um, there is an extended program here in California and in a couple of states, in several states, where if they are going to college. And, and this part of the program is good, you know. That's the that's the awful part of it. Some components actually are advantageous for these kids. Not all kids do have good parents, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So for the kids that were just lost in the system, they do have a program where they continue to get some financial compensation as long as they maintain good grades and they are in college. And that goes until 21 Sometimes 23 years old. Hmm. And complete uh, medical until they're 18 at least. So you don't have to... So the adoptive parents, the foster parents, they have no expenses with medical. They get stipends for... um, They get um, clothing vouchers. They get um, monthly payments. Imagine with the economy the way it is right now, with the lack of education, you know, there's been a rise in um, the credentials that are needed to maintain a, a decent pay wage. Now imagine how easy it is, even if you have felonies, to become a foster parent. Imagine that you have three bedrooms in your house and you can put bunk beds and, um, God, you can you can house six kids. And imagine if you take them to a friend who's a physician and you say, listen, this kid's behavior is outrageous. And the friend who's a physician says, you think he needs medication? I definitely do. It's definitely ADHD, you know. It's definitely defiance disorder. Uh, You know, it's whatever it is. Um, And then he gets put on psychotropic drugs. We have some kids that are on seven different psychotropic drugs. How these kids are even functioning, there's there's such high levels of drugs in their system that they're really like zombies. It's rare to see uh, a child in in care who's on just one medication, too. You know, it is is often those cases where, you know, they're... Yeah, they're given one, and then you know, that that gives uh, that produces some kind of side effect. So they they lay on the others. That's right. Um, I was I was wondering. So you you were speaking about the programs um, that can help uh, the kids once they reach eighteen, uh, you know, go into college, and you know, is is there a good percentage that you know where you do see uh, success rates or you know, I can't that utilize that that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, is, is that is that a generally successful program? Like, how many 
how many make it and how many don't? I think that's a that's a fabulous question, and unfortunately, um, I myself I would be under the um, perception that those numbers are not established. However, I can't verify that. But now that you have raised that question, I think it's an area that I definitely need to look into. Um, I don't have those numbers. And I, I would be of the mindset that if the numbers were high, well, they would certainly be advertising that. Because they need to advertise, advertise some success, you know. <laughs> that would be a great area. Um, what we do see is 60%. This is a very important number that I do know, um, and and this falls into the trafficking end of the department, which is quite real. Okay, um, so the department is not obligated by law to report a child missing. I don't know if you folks know that. I don't know if it's applicable to every state, but I know that here in California, they are not obligated to report the child to law enforcement. Yeah, it's baffling. Right, baffling. Well, um, I had a case a couple of years ago where a mom's gorgeous young lady, 15 years old, she dabbled with some drugs. She was in high school, single mom, and she got real nervous because she wanted to put a quick halt to it. And, And we know, if anybody else is a parent, I certainly know you know, the more you say no, the more they're going to rebel, rebel against you. So it's, you know, you, there's that fine gray area that you have to kind of tiptoe to get what you want and to get what's best for them. So this mom calls a friend and who says, you know what, call the police. See what the police can do. She calls the police, the police say, you know, I'd call DCFS and I'd have her put in one of these homes for a week or two. And let her get a real taste of what life could be like if she continues. The mother says, you know, if it keeps going, I will. Oh, hello? Oh, hi. We just lost you for hi. a second there, but you're back. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know where where you lost me. So um, anyway, the mom, yeah. the mom ultimately, she put her daughter in this group home. She thought everything was planned. She was on board with it. She wanted to scare her. Well, it was really a flip situation because this mother, for the next year and a half, searched for her daughter. She had her daughter in this home. She goes at Thanksgiving. She had been in not very long at all. She goes at Thanksgiving to talk to her daughter to say, now, baby, here's what it could be like, okay? Come home. Stay away from the bad people. The, you know, the people who are not doing the right thing and get back to focus. She goes, the gate is open around this group home. She asks for her daughter. They start looking. The, her daughter's not there. She says, where's my daughter? They say, we don't know. Well, lo and behold, not only her daughter, but three other very good-looking young ladies vanished from the house. Nobody saw, not one staff member saw. As a matter of fact, the gate that has to stay closed and can only be buzzed to be open, suspiciously, and nobody knows, it was just open. They say perhaps because it was Thanksgiving. Well, her daughter was trafficked. She's home now, okay? It took a community, it took a state, it took the FBI, 
Um, and it took this mother day, every day. She never stopped every single day to find her daughter. She was sold so many times. They let her go. It was not they escaped. They let her go. So then the numbers are 60% of the children that are in, a, in the system within 48 hours are trafficked. 60. Within 48 hours. Not coincidental. Is that specific it, to California or in, no, in that's, general? No, that's we national. That's, yeah, that's nationally. These wow. are national numbers now. Yeah. Yeah. These are national numbers. It is impossible for traffickers to know where children are placed without having somebody to give them addresses, to give them dates and times and ages and when they're leaving, 60%. In 2013, That's a phenomenally here, high number. Yes, it is. It is. It's an unbelievable well, number. Was the um, was the girl in that case that you just mentioned? Was she able to provide any information as to what happened? She is oh, still wow. healing. She hasn't been home very mm-hmm. long. Um, she's been home about six months. The trauma, you know, the one thing oh, I had unimaginable. Yeah, it's unimaginable. I had a young lady come on my show, um, and she had overcome some of it. The PTSD, the um, the tenseness, the trauma, it just changes them. You know, they're not kids anymore. They're not teenagers anymore who should be dabbling in silliness and giggling and, and, and having a crush on a boy or a girl. Or, and, you know, it's not limited. Boys are trafficked and girls are trafficked. It's both genders. Um, Snuff movies, they're very, very popular right now. I have intelligence agents who who give me, you know, information, and snuff movies are very popular. I mean, this is where they do horrendous things to children, and by the end of the movie, they murder them on film. And uh, there's a tremendous audience that buys these films. This goes yeah, all the way up. Case. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. There no, was go a, ahead. Uh, before you came on, we were talking about the um, the Flynn scandal. Oh, I had yeah, yeah. And um, there is um, uh, there is a part in that book where uh, they he was talking about the. Uh, the author, he had uh, come in contact with uh, one of um, Larry King, the the guy the whole case was centering around, right, uh, his right. photographer. And he he was trying to, to get him to uh, produce those types of films. Um, that was one of the things that came up. We see that pretty much, pretty much every big pedophile ring scandal, and there have been several of them. Like there was the Franklin, the Franklin one, there was the Dutroux scandal in France and Netherlands. And Belgium, and we've got, we've, of course, we've got the recent scandal going on in the UK with all these MPs involved. And when you read the cases and you read the, the testimony and the, the the investigative journalism on them, they all include snuff films. And um, so I, I'm really thinking that what this looks like is that these things go on, like you said, to the very top, and it's it's not just in the United States, it's in 
pretty, I'd so guess probably worldwide. in every major Western country. Yeah, worldwide. Yeah, yeah it's worldwide. And so it looks like it looks like Child Protective Services, probably other organizations, are just part of this sick system that's going on underneath the surface. So we've all, all we see is the surface. We see Child Protective Services, and of course. Um, the image is of this, you know, this noble good cause that's that's doing good things. But it's, but well, even on the surface, we see it's ridiculous because we see just the the trivial, ridiculous things that they take uh, take children away from their parents for. And then behind the surface, you've got just this uh, this hell on earth that's going on. So. Oh, it, it, I mean the the def, the the adjectives we've been using just don't really do it justice. It's it's baffling. It's horrifying. It's unbelievable what's actually going on. Yeah, people Absolutely. really need to read these cases. Um, you know, uh, going through the uh, Franklin scandal and you know reading like uh, um, Predators by Anna Salter. Like it's it, once you get into some of those cases, like it's it it. Yeah, the the words don't do it justice. Um, it's you know these are some of the the toughest books that you know I, I've had I've read, and um, you know, people need to to have that knowledge and awareness to you know know what's going on. You know, exactly. and one of the things right. you were di- one of the things that we were discussing um, earlier is that given how pervasive and monstrous uh, the situation is. It's incredible that there isn't more awareness around it, and it's suggestive of just how much it's suppressed by um, the media. Right. Well, they are directed not to cover this. Um, it's it's these are direct orders, actually, and um, there's very few. I mean, given the numbers that I've given. And that's just a small portion of of the large picture. Certainly, you know, in an hour's time, we could never cover the the capacity of what's actually happening. However, um, then we look at the media. You know, we can pull up stories, and and these stories are really. Um, it seems like this these specific stories are almost anomalies. They. You know, this is some freak thing that happened, and my gosh, right. this was just a break in the system, this poor child being singular. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've spoken with people that know me. They know me. I'm a logical person. I, I don't, I'm not, you know, emotionally charged at all, and, and I'm grounded. And when I tell them some of these numbers, they say, Tammy, you're just... um I think that you're jaded. I think that you're emotionally involved because Child Protective Services, they're there to help. And I could give them fact upon fact and case upon case, and they just think that these are just instances that slip through the cracks, and they don't think that this really is representative of the larger picture. They can't fathom it. And perhaps it's because to actually consider this to be a reality would be so devastating to mm-hmm. the general public to know that this is not third world mentality. This is U.S. mentality. To know that the U.S. is trafficking more children than third world countries. More. 
this would be horrific. And, um, I mean, we had, there's been a journalist, you know, Martin Burns, who, um, who I was dating. He was an independent journalist. He gave a lot of stories to Fox News. He covered a wonderful segment that I highly suggest everybody watch. It's called Children Lost in the System. He covered exactly what I'm discussing right now. Um, in August, uh, a year and a half ago, he went for a hike and fell off of the cliff to his death. You know, here's a gentleman who has been to Russia up against the Russian mob who has covered stories that you could not imagine. And yet when it came to Child Protective Services, just like Nancy Schaefer, the senator, just like Bill Bowen, just like so many that have stepped up to discuss this, like we're doing today, Mm -hmm. um, there is a definite, the closer you get, there is a suppression. So... Do journalists become fearful? I'm sure that they do. And those who don't become fearful, um, they either get terminated, which I know of a couple who have been terminated because they were adamant about going forth with stories, which they had tremendous facts to back up. Um, I can tell you that Martin, on one particular case, it was a family law case involving allegations of sexual abuse that were substantiated. Okay, we're talking forensic examination, substantiating. The Orange County um, courthouse subpoenaed him, and they wanted his sources. Who is giving you these cases? How are you getting them? And um, what Martin disclosed to me, and this is the first time I'm ever going to say this publicly, actually, um, is that Fox News spent... $20,000 on outside attorneys because they couldn't use their own to protect him. And he was really shocked that they had his back in such a way um, Mm -hmm. because they were going to, you know, they were going to really suppress him. So that's real. You know, an avid hiker doesn't suddenly fall. They said it was, they said it was um, a heart attack. I was, I don't want to pursue it because it can't bring him back, you know, and there's family here that would would be, they don't want to think about that happening. Um, it's much easier to accept. And, and, you know, with all due respect, perhaps it was a heart attack. Perhaps it was. But there's always that that doubt, given what he was covering, you know, mm-hmm. that it wasn't. And we certainly have history from other people who have, you know, been down that road. Nick Bryant also covered the Franklin. Is anybody familiar with Nick Bryant? Yeah, we've. I've, I've yeah. read his book. Yeah. 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 So I mean, he's been threatened. His life has been threatened on numerous occasions. Hmm. You know, um, we interviewed Nick uh, numerous occasions. He just um, like the the small group of us. Um, who are not willing to walk away from this conversation because it it is destroying the very fabric of of morals in which this country was established. It is destroying the country. These children 
are the generations that will be running the country. Imagine having traumatized, broken, sexualized, violent, pissed off kids who are now adults and they've got their finger on the red button. Boy, oh boy, we're in trouble. And it's not their fault. Imagine that. You know, look at the numbers, um, the percentages of children that end up in prison. We're building more prisons instead of addressing the core of the problem. Imagine if we took a portion of the money that is spent allowing the problem to continue and just like, like, uh, forgive me for having a terrible memory with names, but the young lady um, earlier said, she said, um, we don't do we don't do anything to really you know if we had parenting programs she said not all of mm-hmm. these cases you know really warrant a removal but they do need some help I'm in full agreement with yeah. that listen we all could use some help whoever you know couldn't use a a good suggestion I, I could use one every day you know and we should be open to that I think it's great I you know in other countries. The military is mandatory. You go to Korea. I mean, I've done a lot of traveling in my years. You go to Korea, it's mandatory when they graduate high school that they do two years in military. Now, I'm not suggesting military, but I'm suggesting, you know, if you have a a child, if you're a first-time mom, maybe we do a mandatory, very fun, very loving and nurturing course, mandatory. Get Mm -hmm. a feel. You know, allow, and don't make these services cost, give them free. The cost right now, Daniel Saunders out of the University of Michigan, um, he did a study, it's actually on the uh, Department of Justice website. He did a study in which he cited that it's costing anywhere between 500 and 750 billion, not million folks, billion dollars a year due to the trauma that these now adults experienced when they were children. Healthcare costs, they go to the doctors four times more often. They have disease, um, cancer, heart attacks, drug abuse, um, STDs. The numbers are so off the chart in comparison to somebody that just wasn't abused and grew up in whatever is considered the norm. <laughs> you know, we all have a different norm. But anyway, without abuse. Yeah, and there are, I mean, there are these uh, solutions, you know, out there. There is, you know, there there are creative people who, um, you know, have, you know, looked at, you know, different types of parenting, different types of therapies. And, you know, these things do exist. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, not... Not in you know uh, the child welfare system you know at the state level it's you know it's it's just a you know it's more of a a criminal um, uh, perspective you know these these kids are a threat and you know they're treated yeah like you know like criminals and and victimized further. Well, Tammy, we're coming up on the end of the show, uh, so maybe we just have time for a couple more questions. I was wondering first of all uh, if you could let our listeners know um, how to find you, um, what they might be able to do to to give your organization some support. That would be awesome. Okay, so you can find me. I have a show every Friday night on UBN Radio, 
com, and it said 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so it would be 10 p.m. on the East Coast, and I do open the phone lines. I have amazing guests come on, um, primarily experts. I have parents come on who have have this experience. My website is being worked on right now, but it will be, it is nationalsafechild.org or .com, either one. Um, Support, you know, contact me. We need volunteers. I have interns that are volunteering. We have parents that are volunteering. We have some professionals on board. We are extremely limited with funds. Um, and for the past three years, really have not collected any donations, actually no donations. Um, we, we could certainly use the help if you don't have the funds, but you have a talent and you have a little bit of time. These children are in such dire need. There are great solutions out there. We need to take, we need to revamp the system. Child Protective Services needs to be done away with, and we need several organizations because when you give the power to one organization, you are asking, you're creating a recipe for um, power, ego, uh, money. Give it to several organizations and let the organizations watch each other, okay? We will then create a system where um, nobody's going to want to do the wrong thing because there's another organization that will pick up the pieces and will be happy to do that. We will force people to do the right thing by not giving all the power to any one particular person or entity or organization. That's really what we need to do. Well, some, of our, some of the chatters in our chat room right now are saying... Uh, are suggesting that you open up or set up your website for donations and even maybe maybe start a Kickstarter campaign to, to get some funds. Have you thought about that? That's, you know what? I have it. I'm just going into that area. I work seven days a week. Um, I get very little sleep. I mean, last night I was up till mm-hmm. 3 o'clock in the morning. Like I said, the little boy with the black eye. It's nonstop. Um, I will definitely do that. I have a wonderful, um, I have two people actually that are working on the website. If they give us about one week, it will be up and running. If if you would allow me to, um, when it is up and running, Harrison, if I could give you the website and the information, mm-hmm. which will be what I've already told you, but just, you know, give you a heads up that we're up and running, that would just be fabulous. We so need the help. We're going to start posting success stories so that people can see what work we do and what the end result is because that speaks volumes. Okay, yeah, great. We'll we'll spread the word when you when the website gets up. Excellent. Any other really... any other last questions or No. For... Well, I just had I just had one more comment, Tammy, um because Sure. I mean, you mentioned Nick Bryant and um Senator Schaefer, and I mean, just reading all these stories, I know, and in related um, related topics, I know that the the kind of the level attack the level of attack that can be brought on a person that that uh, looks into these kinds of things. So, um, I mean, some of our chat room chatters are saying to stay safe and uh, 
you know, I can only reiterate that because it takes a lot of courage to go up against these people that are just ruthless in order to keep keep doing what they're doing. So uh, right. I hope I hope you do stay safe and. Uh, Thank you. You know. Have you had Have I, you had a lot of personal attacks like that yourself? Or? You know, I'm not going to. Um, I don't want to go there. Um, sure. Yeah. And 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 one day I'll explain why. But at this particular juncture, I I just I'd rather not. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that I cannot encourage people enough, you know, to just take on a portion, a, a voice. Just be a voice. You don't have to be ultra proactive. You certainly don't have to put yourself in any jeopardy. But if you just, if you see something, say it. And and just remember, we the people, you know, we are really the majority. And if we just take that power back a little bit and not in a revolution type of manner, in a very peaceful manner, but as the majority, because, in fact, we are. And our voices, you know, these are elected officials. We need to look at who we are electing, and we need to get out there and vote. Our vote, even as as corrupt as it all is, if enough of us get out there and vote, we can be the decision makers more so. And you know what? We need to put our own people in those seats, people who are Mm -hmm. honest, who care. There are enough good people. You don't have to have a whole bunch of experience. Trust me, most of these people, don't be fooled. They don't, okay? Mm -hmm. Good people, you put your name out there, you get in touch with organizations like mine, like yours. You know, just start getting your name. We will have people advocate for you. Um, We can get good people in. We the people. That's how I'd like to leave this. And I just want to thank you. Thank you for caring about this topic. I'm really moved by everybody who just becomes proactive and, you know, um, gets involved in this conversation because we know that it's the least exciting uh, and and certainly uh, the least favorable conversation to have. Um, But it's unnecessary. Uh, it is a hard topic uh, to, to broach, but, you know, it is, like you were saying, you know, the more people um, that speak out, you know, about these issues, you know, it, it also, you know, provides, a, you know, some sort of protection for, you know, those who are on the front lines. Um, That's right. You know, who are investigating this and also, and those who are going through it and experiencing it directly, you know, um, so, uh, I I noticed that this month is uh, National Child Abuse Awareness Abuse Month. Awareness. Yeah. So uh, hopefully all our listeners will um, you know spread the word on on these uh, these issues. Well, I'll let you guys know something very big is happening next week, um, and as soon as it does, I'll actually email you guys, and you guys might want to uh, let your listeners know through through one of your other shows um, to give them an update because it's. It's going to be a, an amazingly big um, story. All right. Um, we'll, we'll look forward yeah. to it. Yes. Okay. Yes, well, thank you. Sure. Thank you. Okay, well, thank thanks, you thanks again, all. Tammy. Take thank care. You. Thanks, Tammy. Take care. Thank you for coming today. Nice meeting all of you, and, and thank you so much. Thanks for thanks for being a part part of this team. I'm I'm honored to be a part of the team as well. Okay. Take care. Great. Take care. Take care, Tammy. All right, so that was Tammy Stefano, National Safe Child. We went a little bit over today, but uh, we just had to 
just had to because it was such a, a good topic. Hopefully we can have Tammy on again sometime because it sounds like she's got a lot of a lot to say, a lot of interesting information on, on this subject. So, I mean, it's one we've talked about before, but there's just so much to it and it's so important that I'm sure we'll return to it. So, uh, with that said, that'll that'll be the day for today. So, thanks everyone for tuning in. We've got the uh, Behind the Headlines tomorrow and the Health and Wellness Show on Monday. And then we will see you again next week. So, everyone take care. And thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, everybody. Have a good one. Be safe.